All right, welcome everybody. Thirsty Thursday number 42. Hang on a second. I got the little thing for that. Uh, just as a as a side, I will be the resident slack ass for tonight. I've been off all day, and Trevor's been kind enough to keep me in line. So cheers. Good to see you, my friend. It's been a while. Um, Mysterious styrofoam cup. I tell you, I love drinking out of a styrofoam cup. Yeah, I know it's terrible for the environment, but I get my money's worth out I, of it. I get like, but you know what? I I rewash and reuse some of them. But you know what? I can put whatever I want in here. This could be this could be iced tea. This could be moonshine. You just don't know. Yeah, but yeah, and you know what? I'm okay with it. Take it where take it where you will. Yeah, it's all yeah. good. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we were planning for this Thirsty Thursday, we were talking to the guys and talking to Mike and Bobby and. Uh, one by one, unfortunately, Bobby and Mike fell off. Uh, Bobby is um, – where is Bobby tonight, Trevor? Do you remember? You always have a uh, excellent I, place. I, I think he was either at a – he was at a concert, a wine tasting, or like a – Is it his crochet night? It, I don't think it's cro- I, I, macrame. It wasn't crochet. Okay. I think it was macrame right. night. So I think okay. he's you know, he, he's making some nice lace doilies tonight. And yep. um, I tell you what, yeah, his... I'm, I'm really not sure because it's not my wheelhouse, man. But I, I yep. tell you what, his, his his knitting or what is it, knit pearl? I I don't know. But he he's yep. the expert on you know the difference between you know crochet knitting and macrame. But whatever he's doing, I wish him the best of luck. And I yep. hope whatever. I, I just want to get like a good sleeveless uh, vest or sweater out of it for this oh, winter yeah. season. Whatever, he, whatever he's knitting, I'm pretty happy with. Yeah, we should see if we can if we can commission them for um, strike the box knitted or crocheted or whatever they are vests. I think that would watch, be nice. Watch caps. No, I, I think yeah. I think for uh, the winter season, uh, come, you know, we have several months, so I think he can you know yeah, either knit or crochet or macrame some yeah. nice watch caps. Um, yeah. He can probably put your station design in there too. Um, yeah. And then where where where's Mike tonight? Uh, Mike was a last minute notification that he was going to be here. Um, he has fallen into the Dungeon and, and Dragons uh, cult. Um, fortunately, I had a little bit of seniority on that, so I could get out of it tonight. Uh, but tonight was the um, ceremonial induction, um, so he is he is taking part in that. So, I understand, and you know, I I understand he also like bought a brand new set of dihedral dice. Um, mm-hmm. So I wish him the best of luck in his yep. in his D and D Dungeon Master things he's doing tonight. And um, yeah, you Those know, are nice dice he got too. The, what's that? I said, those are nice dice he got too. I, that's some quality dice he got. Oh, absolutely. So him and the rest of the Dragon Slayers, you know, yeah. I wish him the best of luck tonight. But um, we'll go on without him. That's right. That's right. Uh, so with that being said, now that we've made up these terrible excuses for our friends not being here, and it, that's one of the consequences of not showing up. Um, you know, I've been victim. Oh, we could do better than that times. too. But I mean, there's there's certain things the uh, yes. you know the FBC will will not allow us to say. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, the topic for tonight is a little bit of this and that. So, you know, we really uh, don't have uh, a topic of conversation. So if there is something that you guys want to hear or something that you want us to talk about. Um, yeah, we do. And you're more than welcome to get involved with. Um, I'll send you a link um, if, if we're so inclined uh, to get you on here. Uh, but if there's something that you want us to hear us to talk about, put it in the comments. Uh, and we'll we'll take that tangent and run with it. Other than that, there are a couple of things that we were talking on, talking about, and um, you know we'll see see where they go tonight. So, uh, Trevor, what's the latest with you guys? How are things going down in 
and West Palm and all that kind of stuff. I know we were talking in the pre-show, you're getting ready for hurricane season. Yeah, overall pretty well. Um, you know, next week's the beginning, the official beginning of hurricane season, which I know, excuse me, hurricanes don't actually follow the calendar like we do. Nevertheless, um, it's just like it is in the mid-Atlantic, kind of hurry up and wait. Um, we've made all our preparations. We reviewed and, uh, you know, triple reviewed everything. Uh, the only thing we're missing right now is a hurricane, which we're really not looking forward to having one. But nevertheless, um, you know, same as uh, for the mid-Atlantic. And like you and I talked about pre-show, the people I feel for the most, other than, you know, of course, all the East Coast, but the Carolinas, um, especially North Carolina, you know, South Carolina, certainly too. But um, the Outer Banks always, always, always take the brunt of the abuse for the Mid-Atlantic, typically. Um, and so, you know, again, you know, thinking about those folks with the upcoming hurricane season, uh, not that it can't affect us all equally. And, um, you know, certainly hurricanes are equal opportunity uh, destructors. But the Outer Banks and the folks working there in the Carolinas, um, you know, they really have their hands full where they jut out geographically uh, on the map. And, you know, fortunately, especially in the Chesapeake Bay region, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, the hurricanes at least, if they don't hit, have a direct hit, they'll at least skirt the Outer Banks and, you know, break up to a degree that it reduces the severity for the folks up there, which, uh, you know, I'm very happy for. But again, you know, very grateful for the fact that those folks, you know, persevere year after year, decade after decade, century after century to, you know, be the, uh, the you know, the forerunners of the, the hurricane season up in that region of the country. Um, other than that, I mean, everything's kind of status quo here. Um, you know, we're kind of going along with all the slings and arrows that the rest of the country is going through. Uh, one thing real quick, man, if I could, uh, you know, we're coming up on uh, Memorial Day weekend, which I know, you know, in Ocean City and a lot of the mid-Atlantic and northeastern places and, you know, even further south, that's the big kickoff to the summer season. And, um, you know, we have fun. We have our barbecues. We kind of set our clocks by that and do a lot of things. Um, but then again, you know, Memorial Day is to you know, re- look at the people who have uh, you know, served and fought and died for the preservation of our country and our freedoms. And you know, with that, I was you know, doing a little bit of research and roughly, I'm going to give you some rough statistics, since 1775, about one, a little over 1.3 million Americans have died in service to their country. And that's just in battle. That doesn't include the people who have had, who've been wounded, who've been made ill from battle or have taken their own lives from the consequences of battle. But just think about just those killed in battle is about 1.3 million. Um, if you want to kind of put that in a little bit more perspective, since 1775, and work with me historically here, I understand 1776 is the beginning, but 1775 is when we started you know, having skirmishes and, and fighting on behalf of our country. Um, Marine Corps was founded in 1775, just saying. Um, but about here. He was there. Yes. Well, yes, uh, which I'll do. I'll do my imitation of Skip Carey at the rifle range uh, you know, during qualification. Well, actually, I'll do it now. So my impression of Skip Carey Hang at the second. rifle range, you know, learn. go ahead. Hang on, we're going to put you on the big screen. Okay. Oh, shit. Not me. Not me. How do I change this back? That's not it. There, there you go. go. That's it. All, All right. right. So um, Skip seen me do this before, which um, I thought was funny. 
I don't think he saw the same humor, but essentially Skip Carey qualifying on his rifle when he was in the military. Anyway, um, okay, so if, in case you couldn't figure it out, that was a musket. But um, nevertheless, my, my point behind all this is, if you think about it, um, if, if you take that math and divide it out from 1775 until today, 2022, and this isn't exact math, but just kind of work with me on this. If you, it's roughly about 5,700 Americans have died per year since the inception of our country in defense of this country. So that's a small to medium town. Think about that. Um, you know, Ocean City in the off season, I mean, total you know, local population, eight to 10,000. Um, you know, Berlin, you know, a little bit more. You know, Salisbury is obviously a more metropolitan region, but roughly about you know, 56, 5,700 people per year over the history of our country have died in direct service to it. And that's, you know, again, I, I take nothing away and I certainly want to recognize those people who have, um, you know, served and perished outside of the combat zone as a result of what they experienced. Um, you know, those numbers are much higher. So, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, this Memorial Day, we, you know, we not only thank our veterans and those people who made the supreme sacrifice, but, you know, look at all the people who served this country and, you know, don't, don't just thank them on Veterans Day and uh, Armed Services or Armed Forces Day and, Memorial Day, thank them every day, um, you know, because there's the things they've done, seen and unseen, um, you know, that contribute to where we are today as a country. And we, you know, whether we stand united or stand uh, divided on things, they've still supported us uh, regardless. So, yeah, I want to send out a, a thank you to you know, all of our veterans, uh, you know, past, present and future, and, you know, as well as those who made the sacrifice so we can live like we do today. So I just want to you know, put that out there before we continue forward, Ben. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. One, one of the things as you were talking about that, it, it um, reminded me of another um, incident that I think is pertinent to talk about this evening. And that is uh, the events that happened yesterday in Texas uh, with the, um, the school shooting. So um, Ovada, and I have no idea how to pronounce that, um, Ovada, Texas, um, I believe it was 18 is what the report is now. Uh, I think I think there's 19 kids and two adults uh, okay. that, you know, I, I know they're still, you know, down there in Evaldi, which is, is it's not too, too far from San Antonio where we've had the privilege to teach before. Okay. Um, so 19 kids or 19 children and adults, um, you know, that were perished, that were, that perished in that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times they, they talk about the shooter and, um, you know, it's one of those things that I, I firmly believe, and I, I think I learned this from Mike Hickman, uh, but don't say his name. Like, he's not the one that we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about the families um, and the, the folks that were involved in that. But that shitbag, he's dead, um, and that's that's the place for him. So um, keep those families in, those, in, in, your, in your thoughts and prayers, um, especially as we go into this Memorial Day weekend and we're thinking about, like Trevor said, our – armed forces that have, have given it all. Um, so. And Ben, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I'll dovetail into what you had said. And um, our brother Hickman probably remembers this from you, one of the classes that I attended with him many, 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 many years ago. But um, 
when they started talking about any of these mass homicide situations, whether it's a shooter, somebody who flies airplanes into a building, somebody who takes a moving box truck into a federal building, someone who runs an SUV through a Christmas parade, evil is evil. Um, And I detest when people start to politicize this for their own narratives on any side of the coin. Um, You know, we, we face that evil every day as first responders, as military. And you know, our dispatchers, the same thing. They're the ones who get these frantic calls and have to try to make sense out of this. So, you know, to that end, what I'm what I'm getting at is, um, you know, we we have a lot of stuff going on. But I still remember one of our instructors in a class who said, you know, who is, um, you know, who who's who's Dylan Klebold? Who's this? Who's that? We're like, oh, those are people from the Columbine, and they went at, from all these mass homicides. And to your point, Ben they named all of the perpetrators of these mass homicides. And of course, we knew who they were. Then they went down this list to say, who's Dave Smith? Who's John Jones? Who's this? And all of us were like, oh, that was the first officer through the door. That was the first paramedic who treated a kid. That was the first um, you know, uh, special agent that, that went through and terminated or you know, neutralized the suspect. We never hear their names. We don't, we don't typically, you know, other than one or two news cycles, we don't hear the names of the victims of these. But, and again, um, you know, I think shitbag is appropriate. It's that, probably one of the know, nicer terms for it. Yeah, it is. And, and yeah. you know, we don't give these people the glory that they're seeking, but, you know, the people who went in harm's way and the people who have, you know, succumbed to, you know, unfortunately the, the evil that's in the world, those are names we need to recite and remember um, you know, not, not these people who, for whatever reason, their cheese has slipped off their cracker and they've decided to perpetrate these crimes with no matter what means and methods. Um, you know, again, evil is evil. I'm not going to get into political ideology discussions, positions or anything else, because, you know, you and I, Ben, both, um, you know, we, we've seen the outcome of evil people and bad decisions and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the result is the same, not to minimize people's concerns or outlooks or anything else. But, you know, let's let's look at you know the, the current situation and you know, support the people who are grieving right now and help them get into that healing process. Um, you know, no matter what steps they need to take to get there, because this is going to be lifelong for them. This isn't something that's going to go away um, at the end of this news cycle when something else happens. This is something that affects them for not just the rest of their lives, but potentially for generations. So, yeah. Yeah. And, what, and I, I just have one more comment on that. And I, I think sure. we move on. Um, you, know, you see a lot of stuff through social media, the news, and they're talking about uh, the teachers and, you know, ideas of arming them and that kind of stuff. And I know that there were places in out West particularly that have done that. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I don't think we talk about enough is like everything that the teachers do for our students, um, you know, we wouldn't be in the positions that we are, um, specifically right now, Trevor and I, if it weren't for somebody that took an interest in us and thought that we could do more than what we were doing at the time, because we were probably doing something dumb, um, but took an interest in us and, and changed our education and changed our, our plan, um, if it weren't for teachers, um, I am a little partial. Uh, I married a teacher. I worked in a school for, I worked in a high school for 14 years. 
Uh, I have a lot of teacher friends. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, we, we see what you're doing. We know what you're doing. We've been there. We know. Um, and we know that it's been tough. You know, everything that you went through with the pandemic, everything that you guys are going through now that the kids are coming back to school and they don't know how to interact with each other uh, because they've been at home for two years. Um, but, you know, the summer's coming. You guys enjoy it. You deserve it. Um, and, and, you know, everybody should thank a teacher uh, for, you know, at, at one point or the other, pointing you back in the right direction and, and believing in you. So, And, and Ben, um, if, if you don't mind, you know, absolutely cheers to our educators by all means. And I'll say this, and you know, this is meant in the most you know, up, uplifting way, so please don't take what I'm about to say in any kind of negative connotation. But example, good or bad, is a very powder, powerful motivator. And I've had some teachers and educators um, that I've respected, maybe not at the time, but learned to respect because of the message they gave me might not have resonated at the time, but did later on. And there were some that were maybe not so good, but nevertheless, their message did resonate with me and motivated me, whether it was positive or negative motivation um, to get where I am today. And I still thank them. Um, I, I won't mention one by name who, you know, many, many times she took me up to the executioner's chalkboard to do some math problems and um, that I didn't understand. But nevertheless, I still thank that educator because that person motivated me, inspired me. So whether it was whatever means or methods, um, you know, I think that our educators and, you know, to that end, Ben, we look at in the fire service, you know, any, any officer, any crew leader, any well instructor, but our, our educators, they're mentors, they're motivators. And you can either inspire or derail someone's entire career based on something arbitrary that you say or do one day. And that's kind of, I think, where you and I had talked pre-show, excuse me, you and I had talked pre-show about some of those exact things to say, you know what, each one of us is in charge of our own destiny. And, you know, there's certain things that are enumerated to us as our responsibilities and powers. There are certain things that we just can't do. However, um, you know, we're going to have good and bad bosses. We're going to have good and bad instructors. We're going to be, you know, not only given the complete access to somebody's experience, but we're also going to be limited by someone's experience who's teaching us as well. So um, you, you and I talked about that as kind of like a, a little bit of a basis for tonight's uh, topic and show. And, um, you know, you and I are on not completely different, but you and I are on a little bit different spectrums of our careers. Um, and you know, we, there's some things that we have some common experiences and other things where um, we don't. So, you know, to that end, uh, yeah, I kind of want you to fire away with some stuff and just, you know, ask, ask some of those questions or throw some of those things out there that, um, that challenge you or that, you know, either make you think or piss you off. So with that, Ben, I'm throwing it back at you. All right. Sounds good. And, and again, going back to, you know, those folks that are watching, if there's something that resonates with you and, um, you know, you want to get involved, we'd love to, to have the, the viewer participation, um, this show and every show. So if there's something that you guys see, I see you, Timmy, congratulations on, on the marriage. I know it's day late and a dollar short, but, uh, congrats. Um, so one of the things that you had mentioned, uh, Trevor was, you know, they, you can motivate or you can derail a, 
someone's outlook or career. And I would say that, you know, if, if, if that person is so polarizing that it is, um, it's in the process of derailing your career, that that's something that you need to take ownership of and say that when I'm in that position, that's not how I'm going to do things. So you, you still learn from that, but you learn what you're not going to do. Um, you know, I was a, a young athletic trainer. I had a supervisor that, um, was phenomenal, was a, was an excellent clinician, uh, was incredibly intelligent and, you know, knew all kinds of stuff, but the way that that person interacted with student athletes at times, you're like, what in the hell is going on? And I, and one of the things that I took from that is I will never be like that. Um, and I think we, we have instructors like that. I mean, you talk about, um, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, we've, we've all had those instructors that we've taken stuff away from. Like you see, you want to sign up for a class and you see who's teaching it. You're like, nah, I'll take it next time around or something like that. Um, I've, I've had a similar experience where you see who's teaching it and you're like, man, I really don't like this person as an instructor. I don't really care for them as a human being, but they know this topic inside now. So you take the class because you respect that knowing that like it's going to be tough, but you're going to get more out of the class that way. Um, so that's one of the things that I just wanted to touch on is, is you're making that comment, but I think it's important to recognize that, Again, if you see somebody that is doing something where there's a, an attitude or behavior that, that doesn't fit what you believe and what you think is right and the culture that you want to build, like that's on you partially, not entirely, um, but that's on you to, to take, from what, take from that what you can to make yourself better and then move forward and, and know that that's not how you're going to do things moving forward. No, Ben, I, I agree with you. And um, to kind of come back to uh, you know, Timmy's question, and I'll, I'll be very direct in how I answer this. You know, to me, everything is a process. And Bobby I, and I and you... I just not read his question. Sorry. I know. But um, <laughs> me and Bobby have had this question about muscle memory and doing things to um, you know, repetition. And I'm the same way in the morning. If, if, I, don't, if I don't do... like. Just like Timmy's saying, if I don't do, you know, T-shirt, underwear, uniform shirt, pants, socks, you know, whatever order it is, if I go out of order or something distracts me, I'm kind of off for the day. But I've got to be adaptable enough to say, you know what, during that house fire, during that car wreck, during whatever, things aren't going to go in the order of my tactical check sheet. So, you know, to me, it's, I, I like the repetition. I like the... Um, the familiarity of doing things, you know, to muscle memory and to a process. I think it's a great thing, but don't be so rigid that if somebody throws a wrench in your process that you can't function. And here's what I mean. Um, when I was teaching a lot of SCBA boot camp, and, um, you know, and you'll have to kind of date this a little bit, you know, prior to the quick disconnects of the SCBAs, but I would bring somebody up front, like when I was at FDIC and I teach and I'd say, okay, how many people here um, have ever changed an SCBA cylinder? Every freaking hand goes up, 200 people in the room, right? Great. Give me a volunteer. And, you know, a lot of times I'd volunteer somebody, so I bring them up front. And, you know, here's some young firefighter full of piss and vinegar. 
And I say, how many times you changed an SCBA cylinder? Do you think? Give me a rough estimate. Oh, I say, are you a certified firefighter? Have you been? I said, so 100, 200. Oh, at least 150, 200 times. Excellent. So you only have to do something between 17 and 32 times to become a habit. That's that's you know statistical whatever. I said, you know, and I'll, I'll I'd ask the same person. I said, do you know your ABCs? Yeah. I said, okay. Here's what I want you to do. Here's an SCVA. Here's a spare cylinder. I want you to switch cylinders and recite your ABCs. So they're like this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Boom, boom, boom. Not a problem. Great. Awesome. Thank you very much. You can multitask. You, you, know, you have officer potential. right Righto. I said, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the exact same thing. I want you to change the SCBA cylinder. I want you to say your ABCs. But start with Q and go backwards. <laughs> Q. P. O. I'm like, okay, and I'd, I'd let them go for a while. Not long, not, not long enough to embarrass them or, you know, intimidate them or anything else. So I'd let them go through a few letters. I said, okay, the first round, you did two things that you've done almost all your life since you were three years old and since you were... 18, 23 years old, whatever the case, two processes that you knew exceptionally well, and you could do them simultaneously without disruption. You you didn't multitask, you multi-switch. You, I mean, you actually did them both simultaneously. I said, I all I did was change your process. There were still 26 letters in your alphabet. I didn't change your alphabet. I didn't give you like Swahili. Or, I mean, you changed the same SCBA cylinder. I just told you Q and go backwards. I said, all I did was change your process. I said, that's where you need to, your know, muscle memory is great, but if something interrupts your process, be able to adapt. And I've got to tell you, out of all the years that I've used that analogy or having people like Bobby does this one, they'll say, you know, cross your arms, take them apart, cross them again, take them apart, cross them the other way. I mean, people are like really awkward. So, but my point is that in all the years I've done that, there was one guy who literally, I mean, he's like, you know, Q O P. I was like, boom, boom, boom. Like, he goes, Well, I was in a Marine, sir. I'm like, have you ever been pulled over for drunk driving? My God, you're awesome. <laughs> but I mean, it would but that guy, because he was he had been trained mentally to say, you know what? All the parts and pieces are still there. You just rearranged my process and it's up to me to put them back in the order that I like. And so that's what I'm getting at. So to Tim's point. You know, absolutely. You know, there is, there is a process of what I do every day, but if that process is interrupted, I still have to perform to that hundred percent for the people I'm serving, even though it's completely effed me up. Because you know, it's like, it's like, okay, um, wake up, urinate, coffee, TV, feed dog, feed cat, let dog out, like you know, like you know. It, so, but if anything goes out of that that realm. Um, but you know, that, that's what we have to look at. Um, and, and that is, um, you know, I know it's a simple question, but I, I think it's a very pointed question that Timmy brings up is regardless of what we're doing. Um, you know, we're creatures of habit. We enjoy power or we enjoy process, but like Bobby, for example, and I'll, you know, I'll pick on him in a very positive way. Bobby would take his webbing out of his pocket and literally throw it against the wall and jumble it up. So it wasn't in that same uh, configuration that he pulled it out of his pocket. So in case he dropped it and something else, 
he could adjust and adapt. So that's what I'm saying is it was as firefighters, paramedics, instructors, whatever the case is, we have to be adaptable because the, the scenarios do not follow the same playbook um, that we do. The, the playbook is a guideline. And if, if you can't adapt to that, if, you know, if going out of sequence just completely, you know, explodes your head, then that's when you need to train yourself, you know, to have a different viewpoint of it. Um, and to that same uh, point, Ben, you, you and I talked about this earlier. There's a lot of things that occur throughout our careers that we don't understand why they occur. We just know they happen. Um, and we make our snap judgments. I know younger in my career, there were some decisions that lieutenants, captains, chief officers made. And I either thought that they were the most brilliant individuals in the world or they were the dumbest son of a bitches that ever walked the face of the earth. And occasionally I was right. And a lot of times I wasn't because I didn't understand why they made that decision. They never owed me any explanation because they were my senior. They were my quote unquote superior. They were my officer. But those who took the time to educate me on the why behind their decision and again, they owed me no explanation, helped me develop as a firefighter, as a crew leader, as a lieutenant, captain, battalion chief, chief officer, whatever the case is. Um, and let me give you case in point. We're all full of piss and vinegar. We, we, we go through fire training, we get a couple calls under our belt, and we know just enough to make us dangerous. And we go to that call where, you know, hey, we, we've had a couple fire calls, you know, we got a little bit of heat on the back of our neck and we think we know it all. We, we're, we're the, the two five twenty. We've been in between two years and five years and think we got 20 years on the job. Uh, and remind me to talk about the whole thing about, you know, experience here in a minute. But, you know, when you have a chief officer or a lieutenant or whomever pulls you out of a building, they had a reason. Good reason, bad reason, we don't know. Um, it could be based on their limitations. It could be based on their experience or somewhere in between. And, you know, I've always talked about the two, two, two rule, you know, where if, if I'm the instant commander and I say, Hey, don't go any further. I don't want you going inside the building. We're going to take a stand right here. Um, you know, two minutes later, they're two feet closer to the building. They're asking me for two more minutes, you know, where they are. And there's two more people on the hand line than they were originally. So, you, you've always you've always got that. I mean, uh, the best analogy I've heard from this is like Dougie Scott told me years and years and years ago. And I know we bring Dougie up a lot is he, he said, you know, as company level officer, you're like a, you know, essentially a dog owner. You know, you have your dogs that are your that's your crew and you got to decide when to take the leash off and let them run or snap that clip on and pull them back. And but it's up to you to let them know you know, why you let them run and why you pulled them back. And that was just a lot of wisdom that I didn't, it didn't sink in for, you know, quite a while, but it, it made a lot of sense. And, you know, same thing. I've, I've been pulled out of a building where like, Hey, you know, chief, two more minutes. We got this. We got this. They had a different picture on the outside of the building. Um, you know, and again, it, some could be based on their limitations. Some could be based on their abilities but we don't know, but you know, don't be afraid to have that conversation with your people, whether it's an after action formally around the kitchen table at the firehouse on the tailboard. And, you know, 
again, it's you don't have to justify yourself. Let's let's you know, put all the bullshit aside. But tell your people why you made a decision that you made. It might open their eyes up a little bit. And, you know, again, there's some things that I did earlier on in my career, which are like, holy shit. You know, how the hell I survived that? But you, know, I didn't have the full picture. So, you know, to that end, seek that question instead of getting pissed off and upset. And, oh, that dumb son of a bitch. You know what? Your, your lieutenant captain chief, they might be a dumb son of a bitch. Okay, well, let's let's speculate they are a dumb son of a bitch. But then again, they might not be. There might have been a good reason. And if, if you take the time to st- take a step back and say, let me see it through your lens, and then you get the picture, then you, know, you, you develop yourself as an officer. You know, um, I, I can tell you no uncertain terms. You know, I, I've been pulled back from calls that I like. I knew I knew I could I could get that fire. But you know what? That chief who pulled me back had lost somebody in line of duty before. I didn't have that experience. I didn't know. But, you know, my first response is, well, that's not me. That's that, that's that. That might be true. But you know what? They see things through a different lens. And, you know, if, 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 if they erred on the side of caution, then so be it. Um, hey, if that's for me, I'm busy. No, it's I, I just. Yeah. But, um, you know, so that that's kind of what I'm getting at, Ben, is, you know, we, we have to we have to be able to look at all the different um I guess spectrums of what we do and also appreciate where we are in our career, but don't be afraid to have those conversations, you up, down and across, Um, you know, and look, people's personalities are people's personalities. You might go up to a chief who pulled you out of a building and say, Hey chief, why'd you pull me out? And you know, they question your mother's lineage and tell you go pack sand. Okay. Well that might be their personality. Not nice, not right, but you know, at least you ask the question, mm-hmm. but you know, hopefully somebody will say, you know, let, let's have the conversation. The reason I pulled you out is because I saw A, B, C, and D. Um, you know, I didn't think it was safe. Blah, blah. And again, you know, people get, people are people, you know, they get butt hurt if you start asking a question and they might get defensive, but the way and manner in which you present something goes a long way too. You know, if, if you're trying to learn, um, yeah, I still remember from, Many, many years ago, and you guys in Salisbury were instrumental in this and the records boys, um, you know, especially they used to have the Salisbury seminar and they would bring in, I mean, huge, huge, huge national speakers. I mean, they'd have Leo Stapleton, they'd have a Jerry Tracy. They had, and these were names that outside of the mainstream people didn't know, but, you know, you could sit there and approach them when you went to, um, you know, Bennett High School Auditorium. And I, I can go up to Leo Stapleton, who, you know, he's, you know, scraped more frickin' soot off his boot than I've ever seen. And I can say, Chief, um, what what, what uh, advice do you have for a young company-level officer, an aspiring company-level company officer? And he pulls you aside, puts his hand on your shoulder, says, well, first son, you know, you should have been an accountant. Uh, and then, uh, but he's like, look, work hard, pay attention, and pray like hell that your first command is a top-floor job. But, you know, I mean, he was kind of being flippant, but at the same time, you know, he was giving you some sage advice because, you know, here, here's a guy who's, you know, seen more, done more, experienced more than I may have in, in an entire career, but was able to sit there and take some young snot-nosed kid, put his hand on their shoulder and say, 
you know what, you're trying to do the right thing the right way. Let me let me at least put some pearls of wisdom in your head and see if you take off with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so out of that, there's two tangents I want to go on. Go um, for it. One, the first one. Um, the first one, we're just going to go with the Leo Stapleton one um, because that was most recent. And I, I'm going to try and remember what the other one was. But um, you're. You specifically are not going to appreciate you. You're not going to appreciate it. You're going to laugh at me, but um, we are we are rapidly approaching a time when you say the name Leo Stapleton that people don't know who that is. I know. Um, I I was fortunate enough to be to be asked to speak and, and have the ability to speak at the Delmarva Fire Conference um, back in I think it was March, March or February. Um, and it was March or April. Timmy. Can you put the date in there in the comments for me, please? <laughs> um, but I was able to speak at that. And one of the one of my slides I put in there was um, a comment from Alan Brunacini. Before I before I read it, I said, hey, who knows who Alan Brunacini is? And out of the room, there was probably 30, 35 people in the room. Um, like three hands went back and it was the guys all the way in the back that, you know, were that had spoke previous to me. Or it was a couple guys sitting in the front that um, were more senior than I was that knew who it was. But the rest of the room was crickets. I was like, how do you guys not know who Alan Brunacini is? Like, like the dude had a full career as a fire chief, which is unheard of. Like, he had his, he had his first 20, 25 years as a fireman up through deputy chief. And then he did, like, another 20 to 23, 25 years as a fire chief in a large metropolitan department. Um, so I think that takes us to a point where like, we always talk about history repeats itself. One of the, one of the big discussions that always ebbs and flows in the fire service is smooth bore and fog nozzles. Um, and if you don't, if you don't do the research, if you don't know, if you don't understand, you, you can't make an educated decision one way or the other. So you should go out, you should flow your nozzles. You should know why you would use one when, why you should use the other at times and all that kind of stuff. But you also need to know about these previous leaders that did great things for the fire service. Um, so if you, if you don't know who some of these names are that when we talk about them, um, like you need to look them up, you need to know who they are. Um, and that's, that's just me personally. Like that's, I was was shocked when I put that in there. It's like the star Wars reference now. Like everybody, like, you make a Star Wars reference from the first three movies, and they they came out in the eighties. <laughs> like they don't know who ben, those are. Ben, I, I agree with you, and that was one of the reasons that when we would do our academy classes or you know, even some of our annual drills, we would put those three sets of footprints down there at Princess Anne or at um, at Newark that highlighted the three firefighters who were killed in line of duty in Ocean City, Maryland. And if you don't know your history, you don't know your future. And mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that you have to commit everything that Alan Brunacini said to memory or Leo Stapleton said to memory, but it's you know, these. We're standing on their shoulders. Um, you know, we're standing on people's shoulders that are very humble. Like you know, I'll, I'll bring them up again and again. You know, people, people like a Dougie Scott. You know, the the records family in Salisbury. I mean, you know, just looking at local names and the lists go on and on. Everybody's making their contribution because you're part of the history and your department is now. Um, 
you know, I guarantee I could walk back in, you know, I'm, I'm nobody from nowhere. And, you know, just because I spent, you know, a certain period of, uh, of time in Ocean City doesn't mean I contributed, doesn't mean I did anything great, doesn't mean I, you know, did anything other than take up space, which I hope that's not the case. But at the same time, you know, I could I could walk in tomorrow and they're like, who the fuck are you? You know, I'm like, and my answer is like, well, nobody, but between here and here, I was kind of like, I was on the payroll or I was on a you know volunteer. I was this, that, but you know, it's, it's what you're passing along for the generations to come. And sometimes we forget that because look, you know, let's, let's be very honest about this. Um, we repackage a lot of stuff in the fire service and that's not a bad thing. We, we take old techniques, we take old thought processes and everything else and we update them and everything, but give credit where it's due. Let's, let's look at the people whose shoulders we stood on and you know, let's look at being that purveyor of information versus trying to claim that you've, you know, stick your flag in the sand. Oh, I found a new technique. Bullshit. You know, you may have, if you have good on you, write all the articles you want. And, you know, I, I, I hope that you sign my copy of fire engineering magazine at FDIC one day, but at the same time, let's look at the people who came before you and did a lot of this research or who paid their pound of flesh in the industry. And, you know, I don't take anything away from anybody, but you know, the, the point being is Ben that, you know, uh, you know, to your point, I, I talked to my folks in my department. Do you think anybody in Palm Beach Shores, Florida knows who Donald Fisher is? Do you think they knew who Dick Hunt is? And I mean, I see Eric Budd on here tonight. You know, he'd appreciate this. Um, you know, Dick Hunt was an old guy. Well, gosh, when he came to Ocean City, you know, he was an old guy at the um, at the American Legion Hall that you know, was a fireman in D.C. for years. And he was back during like the, you know, Iroquois theater fire days. And I mean, and you, uh, he would tell us these stories. We have you know, sto story time with Dick and we'd literally sit there at a day room at headquarters. And he would tell us about all these things, you know, way, way back in the thirties and forties when he was coming up and he lived a lot of that history, a lot of these case studies that we looked at. And, um, now side note, which I know you'll find this humorous, um, you know, he had paid his pound of flesh over and over again. He was an old, salty, you know, leather lung fireman. Um, you know, he's deaf as a post for the most part. And uh, I'll just say this and I'll move on. But, you know, he we, we get a call. Um, we get an EMS call for a malfunctioning defibrillator. And, you know, old Dick Hunt would go, Jesus Christ. He had this really high pitched voice. He, he's a very slightly built guy, really, really kind of skinny little guy. But he was tough as nails. He goes, Jesus Christ, that's horrible. A malfunctioning refrigerator. Jesus, they'll call you boys for anything. We're like, no, Dick, it's a malfunctioning defibrillator. Oh, shit, that's even worse. But, I mean, you know, you know here, here's a guy who just had the humor. He would tell us the fire stories. But, you know, I, I tell my folks a lot, you know, you look at, look at someone like Donald Fisher, who was the chief there for many, many years in Ocean City, very instrumental in the structure and development of that department, who – a very quiet man, but when he came down to Dorchester Street and sat on that bench and would talk to you, he didn't say a whole lot, but when he did, it behooved you to listen. And mm -hmm. he would sit there, he had been out of the mainstream of the fire service for many years, but he could break it down to you about building construction and what was what and you know, why that building is what it is today and how it became what it is and you know, apparatus placement. And I mean, he was sitting there talking to me about hazmat one day. And I mean, my mind was blown. So, you know, 
we, we have that obligation regardless of your tenure in the fire service. I don't care whether you've been in six days, six months, six years, or 60 years. We have that obligation to pass that along to people. Um, and, you know, look, look at some of the people in the past and, you know, keep, kind of keep some of those people alive. When we go, when we take some of the new people in the firehouse, walk around, look at some of those old black and white pictures or, you know, what's it called? Sepia, sapia, whatever, whatever that, uh, you know, the thing is, it kind of looks old, but not quite as old. And, you know, talk to them about that. Talk to some of the people who've been around for a while and you'd be amazed. Now, look, Donald Fisher t- would tell me about people in the department. He goes, oh, don't listen to that son of a bitch. He's been here for 50 years, but hadn't done shit in 49. Well, <laughs> excuse me. Um, that was valuable information. So, you know, not, not everybody who has longevity or experience you know, has anything good to say, but you know, look, look at their service and look at what they brought to the department. And, you know, again, I'm very proud of the people that I work with because recently I've not been able to be as uh, hands-on as I'd like to have been for the last, uh, I'd say three and a half, four weeks. And, you know, I'm amazed, but not amazed by just the ability of the folks that I work with to pick the ball up and run with it because they know they can do it. They know they have the backing. And if they make a bad decision, we're going to talk about the bad decision. But if they make no decision, we're going to have issues. So they'll make a decision and they'll go with it. And, you know, that to me, that's what it's all about, Ben, is, um, you know, that we, we provide those things. And, you know, you and I had the pre-show conversation about, you know, how, how does your view change from that maybe – two, five, 10 year firefighter to that three decade firefighter. And there, there, is, there is a little bit of a change, but I think it's incumbent upon us, all of us, as we do gain some perspective to pass down the why behind that perspective to our people so they understand why we're making a decision that, oh, that's, he's just an old dumb son of a bitch. Well, yeah, guess what? I might be an old dumb son of a bitch. That, that is true. I mean, I take nothing away from that assessment. I mean, that might be spot on. But nevertheless, they understand why I'm an old dumb son of a bitch. Um, or, you know, they, they kind of say, wow, yeah, I never thought of it in those terms. Or, you know, they don't look, so, they don't look as globally at something. Because um, if I'm on an engine company or a truck company, you know, I've got my blinders on. I've, I'm very fixed on my mission. Um, that lieutenant has a little bit broader perspective. That captain even broader. That, uh, you know, that BC or AC or DC even broader. And, you know, chief of the department, they have a wider perspective. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying they're, you know, the perspective changes based on your role and responsibility and tenure. Yeah. yeah and that takes me back to the other tangent I wanted to go down. And, and I think the perspective is, is a great way to, to delve into that. And we were talking about, you know, you go to a fire, you get pulled out and you go over to the incident commander, whatever, whatever rank they may be, is it? Is it a captain acting up? Is it your assistant battalion, whatever? And you say, "What well, we had it, you know, your, your job as the, as the company officer is, you know, you're, you're right behind your fire. You're the guy on the nozzle, the guy on the pipe, whatever you want to call it, making the push. Like again, your view is what's directly in front of you. Oh, correction. The guy on the nozzle, the person on the nozzle, their, their view, their job is to put the fire out. Your job as the company officer is to monitor everything else around them. So if something happens, you can say, hey, if 
fire over here. Let's put this fire out, do whatever, you know, and keep, keep moving in the right direction. And then if you see something or something happens to you, the person on the nozzle, you're right there and you can take over because your experience has, has taken you there before and you've done that before and you can do it. When you make that transition outside the building and you're no longer going in and you see the bigger picture of the whole thing, which is probably one of the hardest transitions in the fire service, you now have, have to, to make those decisions and go back and forth between, yeah, we're going to keep going or no, we need to change our tactics and, and pull people out. We're going to go defensive and, and figure out what you're going to do. And I think, I think that is one of the things that, that we don't give people enough credit for is one, making that transition, you know, again, making that transition from a company level officer to a command level officer is a huge transition. We always talk about going across the floor and being the lieutenant, the captain, whatever it is. And it's hard because at some point you're going to you're going to have to sit down and have a difficult conversation with probably some of your friends. But when you make that transition from that company level to the command level, now not only are you responsible for the people that you used to supervise and are your friends when you were riding the fires and on your engine, on your truck, on your rescue, whatever it is. Now you're responsible for not only those group but maybe two other firehouses, maybe three other firehouses. So you have like that, the weight of that responsibility is so much greater. And now you have to be responsible. You have to make a decision that, yeah, if it was me, I know I could put the fire out, but I'm not in there. Like I, I know my company officers are good officers. I know the people on the pipe are good, but there's something there's that, that gut feeling, whatever it is, your previous experience knows that that is not a good situation. It's no longer tenable. We need to back people out. That's, that's a, that's a difficult decision. And, you know, as a, as a former acting assistant, like I was fortunate, I never had to make that call. Um, but like that, that's, that's a tough spot, you know? And, yeah. um, you know, I know Trevor, you were, you were an assistant chief, you were a shift commander. So at the time I was a captain is now a battalion chief. And now being the chief of department, you know, what are some of those things that, that you have found in addition to that, that are, that are some big struggles when you make those changes? Well, Ben, I mean, you, you've essentially said it all. Um, and I want to go back to something that Mike Woods said a, a show or two ago is we know the players are on our team or if, if we don't shame on us, but we should know the players on our team, whether it's your shift, your engine company, truck company, whatever the case is. And, I know that changes because you know, we have people who are detailed. We got people at overtime. We got the people who live close to the firehouse, far away from the fire, whatever the case is. So we do the best we can with the information at hand. However, to Mike's point, we know that these people are supposed to be able to make whatever play that we give them uh, in, in his football analogy. But there's some players that are the best suited. Doesn't mean that someone else is not. It just means that you know, this person has all the, you know, all the right things that I need in this very moment. And let's just be very, very honest about it. And this is where I struggle with SOP, SOG driven operations versus priority based operations. We can say our people are trained to a certain level and that may be clerically true. And what I mean by that is yes, on paper, they met the JPRs, blah, 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 whatever. And they're a firefighter, one, two, three, 17, whatever. However, we know some people are more well-suited throwing ladders. Some people are more well-suited pulling hand lines. Some people like pediatric calls. Some people like geriatric calls. You know, 
we all have our specialty in our areas of comfort and we have our comfort zones. So to that end, you know, being certified and qualified doesn't mean that you're the best person for the job. And I don't mean that offensively, but you know, you as an individual firefighter need to come to grips with your capabilities and limitations. Doesn't mean that, you know, you shouldn't be promoted or anything. Let's, let's take all the horse fuckery out of this and look, look at yourself individually. And look, I, I have things that I love and enjoy. And there's things I'm like, shit, I'll do it if I need to, but it's not my favorite. But even at that, you know, I've, I've taken the pride to say, I'm going to take my weakness and turn it into a strength and do the best I can with it. So what I'm getting at is to that end, I look day by day and say, who do I have on this first in engine company? Who do I have on this first in crew? What do I have? And my tactics, although SOPs say X, Y, and Z, I'm either going to, you know, going back to, you know, uh, my Scottyisms, I'm either going to unclip that leash and let the dogs run, or I'm going to clip the leash and kind of pull them back a little bit because I know their capabilities and limitations. Um, that's going to keep them safe, but I also have to have a reasonable expectation that, you know, if I'm looking at this building fire and we got some shit going on and they're going down the hallway and I don't see a, an appreciable change in conditions in a certain amount of time, I'm pulling them back. There might be another crew where I don't see an appreciable change in uh, conditions and I might give them another 15, 30 seconds because I know that they're going to call. I know this is a crew that's going to call me and say, hey, we've come up against something, whatever. So there's a balance there. And, you know, I have never once yet um, either put in for a line item, been issued or been granted a crystal ball where I know exactly what my crew is seeing, how they're seeing it, what conditions they're facing. I have to rely on their eyes, ears and experience and you know and have that trust and that's something that develops over time you can't uh you can't mandate it you can't issue it you can't do any of this stuff it's going to be individual and that's very hard for people to hear because people get butt hurt and look again i have my capabilities and limitations i've said the same thing that's been said to me i've i've gone to people i chris g uh teases me about it from time to time where i'll go ag do me a favor let's go up there and put that effing fire out you know, and because things weren't progressing and the next thing you know, you know, uh, G and his man to marry people, they go up a stairwell and it goes from, you know, dark smoke to steam. And it's like, thank you. Or, uh, you know, I've been told the same thing, but it was incumbent upon me to come back and say, hey, this is beyond our capabilities or, you know, take the BS pride out of it and be very honest about your assessment. Um, everything we do should be mission driven. And, you know, again, it goes back to the people who are in that building, the people who you know, reside in that building, who might have to try to inhabit that building again, whatever the case is. I don't care whether it's a fire call, EMS call, rescue call, hazmat, no matter what. Be cognizant of your capabilities and limitations. Be honest when something exceeds your capabilities and limitations so you can get the appropriate resources there. That's nothing against you. And that's a very hard pride pill to swallow. It really, really is. Because think about it. We're problem solvers. We're firefighters. We're EMTs. We're paramedics. We're hazmat tech. We're special ops people. And we never want to say we can't do it. Well, we can stabilize, you know, but here's the difference. I'd rather tell my IC, chief, 
I can stabilize this, but you know, we're going to go from point A to point B, but you got to get somebody else to go from B to C because this is all we can maintain. Be honest with it. And that to me, you know, it not only does that grow, you know, your points and your capital, but it, it makes us all better because guess what? We can't be all things to all people at all times. Um, we're good at a lot of stuff. We really are, but we're not excellent. I mean, I'd rather be great at two things than half-assed at six things. And that's where I think sometimes we get pushed administratively and also politically sometimes to say, oh, oh, gee, now we, we got a global pandemic. Let's do this, 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 this. And oh, now shit, we got anthrax and we got, there's there's a breaking point. And I, yeah, I draw lines in the sand with my mayor and commission regularly. And it's, is, is it fun going up to my boss and saying, no, make it happen. Now, no, you need to make it happen. Well, you know, I can't go, yeah, I can't, I can't squeeze one out. And so be honest about your capabilities and limitations and say, okay, if, if you want to make this happen, here's what I need in order to make this happen, not only for the benefit of this community and for the safety that we're trying to provide in the service, but also for the safety and security of the people who are providing that service. So if you're willing to do that, which takes time, effort, training, money, resources. Yeah, let's go down the list. So you, you, know, you just have to be very honest and have, to your point, Ben, have those difficult conversations. They're not fun, but you know, be able to assess as, I don't care if you're a probationary firefighter, you know, a, a crew leader, senior driver, operator, lieutenant captain, whatever, whatever you know, glitter shit you have on your collar or whatever, whatever you have on your sleeve, be very cognizant of your own capabilities, your own limitations, project them to the people that you work with and for so they know exactly how to use you and not use you in those times because I don't want someone putting me in a position that I'm not capable of handling. Or if they do, I want to be able to have a resource that I can reach out to. But you know, that we just have to have the honest conversation starting with ourselves and then even on our ships and say, hey, where no, you know, no shame in that. You know, let's let's just figure it out because think about it, Ben. Um, I'll look at you at Ocean City as a full-time person. You're a firefighter, you're a paramedic, you're a driver operator, and you're also an instant commander on scenes. I mean, and I'm I'm just I'm minimalizing. You know, I'm 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 not. Please don't you know, take it the wrong way. I don't mean that at all. But I'm I'm really minimizing you know, to the bare bones your basic daily responsibilities of when when you set foot in the firehouse and, and how, how long have you been working for ocean city full-time nine months okay so <laughs> um to that end think about that yeah you're 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 a you know you're you're not just some guy on the back step who's taking orders you're running a crew you're responsible for people you're responsible for not only people but a station not just one piece of apparatus, but everything in there as a full-time person. So that's kind of what I'm getting at is a lot of times we, we, load, we load people up with responsibilities to the point that we set them up for failure un, unwittingly. And then if, if you were to fail, where do you think that finger is going to point first? Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm sorry. I, that, that guy right here, him. So, but that's my point is that you know, if we throw so many balls at you that you can't juggle them anymore, and then we expect you. So just like when you let, let's take a simple call. 
you go to a fire alarm activation, you're working at, at the floor house, you go to the uh, Irene condominium for bells on the 12th floor. Mm-hmm. Okay. You go there, you get there, you're, you're, who knows? You might, you might be the driver operator that day and the IC. Right yeah. off the bat, I, I've created a funnel for you that you cannot, Ben, you're, you're a smart guy, you're an accomplished guy, you're an educated guy. I have yeah. all the faith in the world, but I can only put so much on your back before you collapse. Yeah, and I've already, I've, and I've already put that on. So what I've done is I put that on you, hoping and gambling that things aren't going to go from sugar to shit real quick. And if they do, that you're going to scream for help loud enough and you can you know, kind of maintain an equilibrium long enough that we get you some help. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that's, a perfect. That's where you live. Perfect, yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. We had, it was me and um, so we got hired. The group of six of us got hired in August of last year. We had, there was another three that got hired in December. Um, and I was working with one of the, the new three, um, and a great kid, love him to death. He, he ended up coming to our shift. Um, great guy. And, um, we get a fire alarm activation at, I think it was the flagship. Um, so we, I'm driving the wagon. We got, he's riding the seat. Uh, and we got a part-timer in the back who is very capable, does a nice job as a good kid. Um, good fireman. And um, we pull up, nothing showing, like nobody's working. The place is the place is closed for the winter. Come around the side, we got water flow uh, from the sprinkler room. Water's running out the first floor, the door out of the stairwell. They they open the door, and they got a light haze that comes out the top the top of the door. Now that that was unbeknownst to me, they had made their way around to the sprinkler room, uh, the pump room, and, and made access, and we're going in. And, you know, I come around and at this point it had dissipated enough that I didn't see it, but they get up on the second floor and they had a spring, they had a, somebody had left the Clorox wipes on one of the stove burners. And I guess like the spring had, had been old. They lean up against it, turns it on, catches the, the thing on fire, spring, the sprinkler puts it out, but we had a smoke condition on the second floor and, uh, we're talking afterwards. Like there was nobody in the building. Everything was fine. We shut the sprinkler off, all that jazz. And uh, I said, what, what did you think? And, I, and again, I'm, I'm what, four months newer than this or four months more senior than this guy um, in the department. I said, well, what was your thought when you opened the door and you had that smoke come out? Uh, well, I didn't think it was good. I was like, yeah, it's probably bad. You know, then you walk upstairs and you're walking through all this all this and you make it the second floor and you got smoke in the hallway. Yeah, it was, it was probably bad too. I said, what, what is the, what's the criteria for upgrading it? So why? Well, I, I don't know. I said, that's your question. Cause I, I don't know that I, like I've, I don't know that I have a department answer for you. I said, I can tell you that with the three of us here that, I pop the door and I got smoke that kind of lazy smoke that comes out. I'm upgrading because there's three of us here, you know, like I'm not, I don't like the special call. Like give me an extra engine, give me an extra truck. Give me, give me an extra unit. Like what are they going to send you? Like you might get the traffic control. Like the fuck is that going to do for me? You know, 
if you say, give me the upgrade, you're going to get a, a building fire response at that point. Like, again, you don't need to know necessarily, you know, four months in, two months in, what's on the building fire response. Like, you should have an idea, but you don't need to know exactly what you're getting or where your mutual aid's coming from. But you know that you're going to get more resources. And the important thing that you're going to get at that point are the chief officers to help guide the rest of the incident. Said so we, at that point, we go from <laughs> to manage the whole incident, figure out what's going on and take care of it to, at that point, we just need to take care of whatever's happening. Is the, is the compartment that the fire was in, is the, is the compartment out? Is there somebody in there? Is there a patient? Is there something else that we need to worry about that is more important than the talk on the radio and the command and all that kind of stuff? I'm not saying that's not important, but like if there's three of us and we have to prioritize what we're doing, talking on the radio and giving updates is not it. Like for me, at least, you know, so we had a great conversation and I'm fortunate that I get to work with him the rest of the summer. Again, I think he's a great kid. I'm, I'm excited. You know, one of the reasons I'm excited to go back to shift work is to, is to get to work with him. Um, but it was, it was a great conversation because there's questions back and forth and there's a lot of stuff that was like, Hey man, I don't know. This is, this is what I would do. What, what are your thoughts? Even the, the kid in the back who was, you know, a part-time good, a good kid. And again, knows the stuff like he's asking questions. We're like kind of round tabling it as we're driving back in the engine. And it was a great conversation. We get back, we talk to the chief chief. What are your thoughts? This is what we were thinking. He's like, Oh yeah, sounds great. That's what I would do. So now we have a kind of an expectation for our shift. What, what we're going to do, we come into that situation again. So, you know, having those questions, asking questions up and down the chain, and like you said, laterally, like helps you get a better idea of the expectation and it gets you a little bit more experience. It gets you a little bit more insight into those situations that you could be placed in. So, so Ben, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think part of it also is, you know, not only having a respect for your chain of command, but also understanding. And you know, you said it very eloquently, being able to lead you know, upward, downward and, and laterally. Um I, I had a situation within the last couple of months where my uh, one of my engine crews was they went to grab some dinner and um, they're sitting in a, you know, I, we don't get so, you know, wound up if they actually sit down and eat somewhere. I know that's depends on where you are with stuff, but you know, this was, this was an appropriate venue. And so long and short of it is they were literally, um, probably at the most 35 feet out of their first new area sitting in this restaurant. And, you know, the next thing you know, the fire alarm goes off and somebody had overcooked something in the kitchen and it's not their first due, but they're right there. They're going to do, they're going to respond, do the right thing. Herein lied the problem. We had a very highly motivated crew member who took it upon himself to self dispatch instead of going through the, the shift commander who was there um, to self-dispatch. And in the meantime, I'm looking some home. This is, at, this is in the evening hours. I'm like, Oh, that's a funky address. What, you know, did we just get called on mutual aid? So now you've piqued my interest because this is a, you know, we, we typically don't get called for mutual aid in this particular area. Um, I'm like, so now I'm getting up and going and it turns out that, you know, the, if they had gone through the shift commander and, and the shift commander had said, Hey, look, go ahead and call this in to, uh, you know, to dispatch, put us on scene. 
everything worked out fine. But the battalion chief for the that department should have been notified right away. Mm-hmm. And I had no problem with my guys taking initiative and action. They were they were there. Of course, if someone dropped out with cardiac arrest, I wouldn't expect them to go, oh, it's not our territory. No, handle the situation, but make the proper notification. But so, you know, here, this battalion chief, the the department whose area this was in never got notified. A little bit problematic until yeah. later. Uh, the BC shows up. He's super, super cool guy. Yeah, I can't say enough nice about him. But nevertheless, if this had gone through the appropriate channel to the shift commander who was there, but the shift commander didn't, didn't even know that this kid had called dispatch until you know they got alerted for the call. So my thing is there's a fine line between motivation and freelancing. Um, but just like with that, you know, in your situation, Ben, if, if they had something where if there's any question, hey, uh, you know, what, what, I don't even, that's sad, Ben. I don't even know what your, uh, your, uh, call sign is. What, what's your call sign in Ocean City? 7488. Ew. Um, uh, well, I was 7408. So, wow. That's, look at that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. This might hurt your feeling. 11 times better, babe. Anyway, uh, moving cheers. on. Um, <laughs> cheers. So, um, maybe so. So anyway, but point being is, if if they if they call and said, uh, you know, what whoever to seventy four eighty eight, I have a smoke condition on this floor, and just notified you, versus oh, what? and I'm not I'm not taking anything away from the individual because yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know wasn't wasn't there anything else, but that to me that's you know, having that having that communication conduit to be able to say this is what we have and if if they've not either been educated or empowered to make that decision or that call kick that information up the chain what are you seeing you know, we don't care what it put it on you that's that's why they pay you dozens of dollars ben mm-hmm. is, is to make yeah exactly yeah. um you, you know before taxes yeah. but um you know that's why they pay you dozens of dollars is to make those decisions. And then, but if they said, Hey, we have an odor of smoke, we have a haze, whatever, just transmit the information to you, make you the funnel. But instead of just going, Oh, we see this, let's keep going. Uh, we see this. And again, if, if that's not been part of the culture they've been brought up in, you can't fault them for doing what they did. And I'm glad that you took the opportunity to have that discussion but quite frankly, that needs to be part of the culture that if if it's unknown, you're uncertain, unsure. And if you're not 110 percent confident that, you know, this is X, Y and Z, kick that shit up to the next person who's getting paid 87 cents more than you an hour mm-hmm. to make that decision. And then you can kick it up and you know, we can keep you. Know, you can push a turd uphill. And that's, that's you right. know, so but just you know, create create that culture that you can do that. Because, you know, at the end of the day, decisions get made quicker and, you know, and then if it's something that they could, if it's a decision they could have made or didn't know they could have made, then that's another training opportunity. I mean, there's, this is, this is so much of an opportunity for us to become better. Um, And I think we squander that pretty often. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Hey, so we're at like an hour and 10 minutes. Um, Do me a favor. Let's go ahead and give like some of your closing thoughts. I need to run out real quick and I'll be right back in. 
Should we go around the horn? Yeah, we're gonna start with you. <laughs> we're gonna play a game tonight. It's uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna. Uh, it's a short game of pong. I like it. No, that's another reference that people won't get. Ben, you're killing me, brother. All right. Well, um, you know, while while Ben's going down um, to you know squat the pee, whatever he's doing right now. Uh, you know, thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Uh, you know, Ben and I were just having a general conversation about strategy tactics, uh, some of the things that we empower people to do, some of the things we don't. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I really think that we have a great opportunity to talk to our firefighters and talk to the people who are on these shifts and give them some guidelines. And not that those guidelines are always going to uh, suffice and be all inclusive and take care of every potential opportunity that there is, but we have the ability to empower people to make decisions and at least transmit information. They shouldn't be ever afraid or hesitant to tell us what's going on and uh, pass that information down. Something very minute could be something extremely important for us to uh, you know, consider at a command or an instant level and for us to make some tactical decisions based on. And even at that, uh, it goes back to crew resource management. We, we talk a big game about it, but sometimes we get very regimented in our different, um, you know, our, our different silos where if we have a brand new firefighter who says, hey, chief, I think this is unsafe. And we start saying, you know, kid, you know, back when I was your age, we used to do this and, you know, walk uh, you know, uphill both ways in the snow. What a, there's a balance of things. There's a way and manner that we, we, that we communicate with each other. Um, but nevertheless, I think that if, if we're going to talk about crew resource management, if we're going to um, employ some of these things that we say are part of our culture and um, you know, part of our value system in the fire service, then we have to mean it. Now, you know, again, there's a way and manner in which we can approach things, but you know, don't be afraid to speak up if you see something that doesn't look quite right. We'll have that conversation, but um, don't think for a minute that every officer has every answer or they've been trained to the level they should have been. I'm not taking anything away from any of the officers, um, chief officers included, but people have capabilities and people have limitations. We all do. And those decisions that we make are based on those capabilities, limitations, and also those capabilities and limitations reflect our experiences. So um, you know, if it's something we've never done and we don't feel comfortable with, we might make a much, much more reserved and conservative uh, decision. If it's something that we've done a million times, we might make a you know, very aggressive decision that may or may not be correct because just because I feel comfortable doesn't mean that that crew that I've sent to do that duty has the same level of um, comfort or you know, that, that same aggressiveness. doesn't take anything away from them. It just means that they might not uh, see things through the same lens that I do. So this is where... We have to have those difficult conversations, as Ben alluded to, and you know, be able to talk amongst ourselves, respect the fact that people have different experiences, different tenures, different everything in the fire service, and capitalize on those things. Um, to Really quick to just kind of land the plane on this. I used to send around, um, in my early tenure as a lieutenant, I used to send around a shift resource list. And part of that was, there were skill sets that people had. That I had no idea that they had. I mean, I had some people who were electricians, who were carpenters, who were accountants, who were, you know, they had all sorts of things. And when it came down to it, 
I wasn't the one who always had to carry the ball. I might have called the play, but I didn't have to have to carry the ball because there was somebody much more well suited. And you know, with that being said, I think that you know, having those open discussions and conversations with your uh, with your personnel, finding out what makes them tick. And, you know, the sad part is sometimes you get thrown in the Yahtzee cup and put on a different shift. Um, but then you start the process again. But, you know, find out the capabilities and limitations, but start with yourself. Um, be very honest in your in your self-assessment. And if you have something that you're not comfortable with, figure out a way to make yourself more comfortable. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with that, Trevor. Uh, we had uh, we got a little group chat with some a couple of the guys on the shift. And um, one of them posted a 12 lead that he put in the picture. And I look at it, I was like, holy shit, that looks bad. Like calling a STEMI, going to the cath lab, all that kind of stuff. And they're both like, yeah, no, that's not a STEMI. I was like, well what am I missing? You know, like help, help me understand. You know, I'm, I am the oldest person in that group chat. I've been a paramedic the longest out of the people in that group chat, but due to my time out of or away from providing care as a, as a primary care provider or primary clinician, uh, as a paramedic. And that's like a big officer word clinician, right? What in Maryland, we're no longer providers. We're clinicians. Seriously. Um, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. That's why I wore a collared shirt tonight. Is that is that with a capital C or like a little C? It's a K. We're classy. Okay. Wow. Um, Clinician. Yeah, yeah. Write that down. Write that down. That, that's something you guys can change in floor. I, floor I, I, I can't spell clinician. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> um, Clinic Ian. Yeah, but that but that was one of the things I talked to these guys about. I was like, okay, so what what's going on here that you guys are saying it's not a STEMI, you know, maybe we can explain this to the dumb paramedic in the group, dot, dot, dot. I'm the dumb paramedic in the group. Um, you know, so I'm getting these guys that, you know, are, you know, our, our level of education for 12 weeks, even in paramedic school was not, I don't want to say like we got it, but one, it was so long ago and two things, so much has changed in the time, you know, so I, I haven't kept up like I should. Um, and these guys, like, these guys are sharp. These guys are good. So taking that opportunity to learn from them, you know, I I truly look forward to, you know, when I go on calls with them or if I know that, like, I'm on a call, I get back, and my buddy is just getting back from another call, like, hey, man, what'd you have? What'd you do? All right, this is what I had. Tell me what you think about this. This is what I did. And sometimes they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I would do. Did you think about this? Like, yeah, I did that. I forgot, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, ooh, I don't know if I've done that. That might be, mm, I might want to be careful with that. You know, so it's stuff like that that, you know, is, is really enjoyable. Um, so I know you mentioned it leading up and down the chain. We talked about it a couple times tonight. Like, you get that opportunity, like, you know, go and go and have that, that talk with your Lieutenant, Captain, Battalion Chief, whatever it is, your next line supervisor up. You know, if, if that's something that you aspire to one day, like you're going to want that information. You're going to want to know what their mindset is, why they thought the way that they thought. And at the same time, you know, like you said, you passed around to your shift. Hey, what, what do you guys do? What do you like? What are you good at? So that way, you know, when that, when that call comes in and you need to frame something, you need to build a shore, you need to build a support, you know, you're not, you're not having the accountant 
who's on the call trying to figure it out. Like you call, you call the guy that did that for 10 years to come in and build those shores, you know, knows that that built houses and they can, they can look at it and be like, Oh yeah, this is what we got to do. And you're, you're done in five minutes versus, you know, you're not sure how it's going to go. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's fantastic. Like having, having that relationship with your crew, building the culture of taking care of each other, doing the right thing, um, you know, and taking care of the patients and the people that you go to, because ultimately that's what we're there for, right? Like our job is to go and help these people. You know, they don't give a shit if, if it's the 30th call of the day for us, it's three o'clock in the morning. Like they don't care. It's not their problem. It's not their worry. Right. That's what, that's what our job is. So go and, and give them the service that they provide, that they deserve. Um, so that, that's my thing. That's it. Um, that's my wrap up. So as, as we wrap the whole thing up and we, we land this plane all together, you know, we're looking, looking ahead. We, I know Trevor and I, we've talked about a number of things. Um, anybody out there that's instructors that you teach, if you're interested in teaching, um, if you have a class that you've taught, uh, FDIC just posted that they're accepting, uh, or they've, they're putting out the call for classes. So go check that out for next year. Uh, it's going back to April. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So it's going back to April. Go check that out. If you guys, um, if you're putting classes in, let us know. We want to, we want to hear about it. Um, you know, maybe it'll be a show topic one night. Um, I'm sure Trevor, Bobby, Mike, and I are going to be talking, uh, see if we're going to put stuff in, uh, again, Wichita hot, uh, which is October 12, 13, 14, right around there. Um, strike the box is going out there managing the May day. And that's totally based on the companies operating in and around the structure at the time of the May day. Um, so it's not going to be the RIT team activation from outside coming in. It's going to be whoever's right there to help manage that May day. So it's going to be a great class. We haven't taught it yet. We're in the process of putting the final touches and polishing it up, making sure we don't look like a bunch of fools, which we won't. Um, so that's coming. Uh, WichitaHot.com, I believe, is their website. So go check them out. It's I, unfortunately I've not been. I've heard again from the guys that it's a great conference. So go check it out. Um, if you can get out there, go. Uh, apparently classes fill up really quickly, so get on it. Um, our future topics again. We we talk a lot about uh, stuff that we want to do. I know one thing that for whatever it's been pulling at me is lithium-ion batteries. Um, the mobility devices, all that kind of stuff and, and incidents revolving around those. Um, so one, if you're a hazmat nerd, uh, send me a message either through the face space, Instagram, whatever, Tic Tac, um, whatever it is, um, get up with me. Cause I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to pick your brain about it. Um, but that's something that, that I want to, I've talked to Trevor. I want to do a show about coming up soon. I've talked to Mike and a couple guys uh, that have connections with the FDNY. So between Baltimore city and the FDNY that have seen some of these incidents, uh, we're getting some information on that. Um, and then after that, it's, you know, we've mentioned before we want to try and get Doug Scott on. I'm going to start beating him up a little bit more as we're coming into summer to see if we can't get him. Uh, the man is, I mean, we, we can't talk about him enough and say enough great things. So it'd be nice to actually get him on the show. Trevor, what are you thinking? What else do we, what else have we kicked around? 
Well, we, we've had a lot of topics because, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff both, uh, you know, on the show and offline. Um, you know, when you talk about the Wichita Hot Class, the managing the May Day, I mean, we've done things kind of sporadically and individually and kind of loosely um, in that realm. But this is an opportunity for me, you, Ben and Bob, or excuse me, me, you, Mike and Bobby, um, you know, to put it all together. Um, you know, we, we've done some stuff before. Of course, Ray McCormick's out there with us. Um, which is going to be phenomenal as well because, you know, he's you know certainly well-respected in the fire service and has a lot to uh, contribute to everybody. But, um, you know, whether it's, you know, company-level operations, uh, leadership, any of these things, I think that, uh, you know, we have a really good cadre of people, not only just, you know, who've been on the show, but also that we reach out to because we don't have all the answers. We never purport to, you know, be those folks. But you know, we have a lot of contacts in the industry. Um, a lot of people have some really great initiatives and views on some of the current topics in the fire service. And uh, yeah, I, I certainly want to bring their voices to the course that you know we bring forward on the show to you know try to educate our our brother our brothers and sisters. Excuse me. Yeah, all right, buddy. You gonna make it? Yeah, a little hairball. All right. So with that being said, we thank you guys for joining us tonight. Um, again, if there's any questions um, or, like I said, we're, any of my hazmat nerds, um, get up with us. Let us know. Uh, we Again, we'd be inter- I'd be interested to pick your brain, um, and we'll go from there. So tentatively, uh, I say tentatively now because, you know, our schedule is, is what it is. Uh, we're looking at two weeks from now. So everybody have a safe and happy Memorial Day. Remember the reason for the holiday. Um it's not for grilling and having a good time. It's for remembrance of those that, that gave their lives for our great nation and the freedoms that we enjoy today. So with that being said, cheers, my friend. Cheers. And have a good night. Stay safe. All right. Love you, brother.